Welcome back, listeners, to the Gold Mine Magazine podcast. It's the end of August, pretty much the end of summer. Hope most of you had a grand summer. Um, I do want to send out my thoughts and prayers to Texas, friends and family in Texas. You're in my thoughts. Harvey was a horrible storm, and in the end, I hope every one of you ends up safe and sound. Now, um, onto the podcast. This podcast will be talking about a new record label for vinyl collectors, Run Out Groove. And then we'll talk a little Joy Division, New Order, etc., etc. We're going to interview former Joy Division, New Order bassist Peter Hook, his band, The Light, who have been together for almost six years, are celebrating the music of Joy Division and New Order live, uh, celebrating those band's albums by performing them in their entirety. Fans, uh, you know, fans do wish Hook would return to New Order at some point, but uh, singer Bernard um, Sumner and drummer Stephen Morris, uh, they're entangled with a legal battle with Hook um, over the music and a... The, you know, a new order is continuing with uh, keyboardist Jillian Gilbert and guitarist Phil Cunningham. There's no reunion scene in sight. Uh, it's quite a shame, but we'll be talking to um, we'll be talking to Peter about it, um, and uh, we'll be going through his uh, releases, the releases that he put out um, musically, and uh, he also put out a few books, one on New Order and one on Joy Division. But first up, we're going to talk to Matthew Block. Matthew is the curator, if you will, behind Run Out Groove Records. Um, his official title is Director of Content Development, but uh, I'd like to call him the curator of it all. Uh, Run Out Groove is a unique record company designed for vinyl record collectors like yourselves. Um, and I would call Ma Matthew kind of a archaeologist, too as well as a curator. He digs in the vaults of Warner Brothers and finds forgotten, long-lost material on the shelves and in storage, and he hopes this, that they will see the light of day. And if you go to runoutgroovevinyl.com, each month the site will post potential projects, these things that they find in the vaults and the storage area, and ask for you to vote on each project, um, whether it should be pressed, and sold as a, it's kind of like a very interactive experience with the fans. Uh, I love it. I think it's great. And whoever gets the majority vote of these uh, three projects, these three artists that they found in the vaults and storage, uh, the majority vote, uh, that project will be pressed and made available in 30 days as an individual numbered or individually numbered, I should say, and a limited edition vinyl record the latest pressing was uh something by marshall crenshaw it was called thank you rock fans we covered it in our october issue and we also covered it online if you go online right now to goldmymag.com you'll see uh, marshall has a quick q a about it um, a live show uh, it's a live show that was pressed it was discovered by Matthew. It's a show on June 4th at the Keystone in San Francisco, California during um, Marshall Crenshaw's tour for his debut album way back in 1982. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's quite a, quite a find. It's a lot of fun. Um, we're waiting now to contact, uh, connect with Matthew 
uh, blocked via Skype. And we'll be right back after this short message. Hey, I'm Ronald Webb, and this is Patrick Prince. And together we host the Goldmine Radio Hour, the show that features the latest issue of Goldmine. The Music Collector's Magazine. Tune in Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on CygnusRadio.com. I want to say hi to Matthew Block of Run Out Groove. Matt, maybe you could uh, describe a little bit about what is Run Out Groove and how you got started. You have a long career in the music business, so um, if you could do so in like five minutes, I don't know. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me. Um, so, yeah, so I've been with uh, Warner Music since uh, 99, um, you know, bounced around with a lot of different jobs. I started in, uh, in distribution. Um, so a majority of my jobs was focusing on sales and marketing side of, yeah. of the music business. Um, and then about a couple of years ago, um, I started doing third party licensing, um, for Rhino. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and, uh, so I was working with, uh, smaller labels like Sundays and Light the Attic, um, and bringing them projects, uh, based on our catalog and our repertoire. And so I was really doing like catalog A and R. Uh, yeah. So so basically, um, doing the doing catalog licensing uh, for other labels, you know, it really led me down the path of of you know work like going into our vaults, you know, seeing you know material we have and putting projects together, and and then we decided we should keep it in house. And so basically, you know, the genesis of Run Out Groove came out of that. Um, and then basically, you know, grew into the fact that, you know, I myself uh, am a big record collector. So mm -hmm. I thought like, well, we don't want to really be we want to define ourselves um, within the organization as being this kind of boutique label that focuses our energy on creating very like high end, very limited collector oriented titles, um, digging deeper in our catalog. And, and that really was was the goal um, and to kind of get back to to a place where, you know, people appreciated the attention to detail, um, the collectability of it, um, right. which I felt is kind of, you know, we've I think that's kind of gone away a little bit. So I wanted to kind of get back to that point with with what we're doing with Run Out Group. So I go say, OK, I'm a, a record collector. Mm -hmm. I, I hear about um say marshall crenshaw's um new product and i go to the run out groove site mm -hmm. what should i expect and how does it happen i want that record so i mean it's pretty simple like our website right now is designed to just feature the one title per month and three titles to vote on and every time we do a changeover uh, which is once a month uh, and we announce a new title based on the votes we get from fans mm -hmm. We send an email out to all our subscribers. And at this point, we're close to having about 9,000 subscribers, and we started the label in January. So mm. if, you're, if you've subscribed and if you vote or if you purchase the featured title, we get your email, and you're going to get notified about other run-out group titles that you can order or you can vote on. And that's really pretty much the way that you, you find out about other stuff. Plus, we're, we're good about using social media to kind of spread the word. Um, and we encourage everybody to sign up for our Facebook and Instagram. Um, and people follow us that way as well. 
So if I want to get Thank You Rock Fans, which yep. is the new Marshall Crenshaw title, has it already been voted on? It was selected? Correct. And so that's been up uh, since the beginning of August, and it'll mm -hmm. run to um, – Technically, it's supposed to run through nine two, but we might, um, we because of the holiday, we might extend yes. it a, a few days over the holiday and give people an extra chance to to take a shot at it. So, well, even Marshall was happy about the product himself. Um, he said that about six months ago, you contacted him with a basically a photo of the of a tape box. Yeah, and you said, "I just found this in the archives." Yeah, Warner Archives, right? Warner Brothers. Do, yep. do you know what it is? And uh, right away, he he knew what it was, and I guess it was used on MTV a couple of times, uh, and the video someday, yep. some way. Yep. And uh, you had someone uh, mix it, Chris Stamey, is it? Is that how you pronounce his name? Yeah. Yep. Yep. And, and uh, supposedly, I haven't heard it, but uh, uh, Marshall said that it's much better. Um, he was blown away by it. Um, yeah, the, the tapes we found weren't in the best of condition. And I think that what happened was they were looking to do to do video and then they had a mobile truck that decided to just run the audio mm. at the show that they did at the Keystone in San Francisco in 1982. But I think the audio was somewhat of an afterthought. So it got shelved uh, and it was sitting there obviously for 35 years and in digging wow. and doing other vault research. Um, I stumbled on that uh, and found it very intriguing. And of course, you never know what you're going to to get because there can be tapes sitting on the shelves uh, marked and it looks like, oh, you know, it could be like, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, but um, it could there could be a reason it's sitting there and never released. Um, mm -hmm. And we just happened to get lucky that you know, the, that the quality was good enough that it could be resuscitated. And really the tape, it had oxide issues. So it was sticking as it was going through the tape heads on the machine. And the engineer literally had to like, you know, manually, you know, maneuver the tape uh, through each track. So it was quite laborious. Um, and lucky, luckily we, we were able, able to get what we got. Um, and wow. then, yeah. And then put it into to Chris's hands who, who's really a, kind of an engineering guru um, and kind of a power pop maverick himself and, and really is a fan of, of Marshall's and, and went to a lot of the shows in the 80s. So Chris knew like how that sh really should sound that show. And yeah. when, when we gave him, when we sent him the, the files, you know, he knew what to do with it. And, and he really punched it up and made it sound great. So we're, we're pretty happy with it. What's this warehouse like? It's, it's. I mean, the archives. It's like a warehouse full of. Uh... <laughs> yeah, we do. Really, it is. It's like at the end of Indiana Jones, where you see all the rows and rows of boxes. Um, pretty <laughs> much, it really is. Pretty much, um, there's a couple. We have a couple places. The one that I typically go to and then communicate with um, is in North Hollywood, um, mm. and uh, it's really nondescript. I mean, it's not easy to find. There, it's not like sexy or fancy or anything you would think of uh, in terms of like, you know, containing like tapes. But, you know, you can find like Grateful Dead reel to reel in there. You can find, you know, Zeppelin, anything you can think of that we have. Uh, it's in there. So it is pretty amazing. It's kind of a history of, of the Warner Music Group uh, and in, in, in audio tape form. So and, and everything else, too. They have like contractual documents and and then they have job bags filled with like old art files and posters. Wow. And yeah, it's pretty cool. Pretty cool. 
So this thing could continue forever. <laughs> well, um, possibly. Yeah. I mean, there, there's things that, that definitely, I mean, there's a lot of bodies buried in there. Um, and, and the view that I have is through like a system that I use to check what we've got, but that, that isn't always updated properly. So there's potentially things in there that I don't see, um, yeah. and may never see. Um, so yeah, so, uh, it seems fairly unlimited. Um, but also, you know, once you do find the material, um, there's all, there's a lot of different hurdles that we need to go through, um, not only legally, uh, but you know, working with the artists and then of checking course. contracts. Yeah. So, so we might stumble on something, um, that seems very intriguing, uh, but might never ever get to be used, uh, because right. of contractual restrictions, which is sad. Yeah. Totally. Um, but it happens. Um, so you're a big record collector. Huge. You're, you're a serious record collector, and you're yeah. big, specifically jazz. Yeah. So you, you must be in the back of your mind wondering, God, I might discover something that I've been looking for all these years, right? I mean, that's got to be a possibility. Well, yeah, I mean, that is. And, and actually, before I started Run Up Groove, um, I was doing some digging on the jazz side, Um you know, basically to drum up potential like third party things, you know, because some of the smaller labels out there are willing to take a shot on some of the more esoteric things that we'll never get to. Um, yeah. And I did find um, I did find something that was very unique and amazing, um, but we could never find the paperwork for this individual. And thus uh. it'll forever sit. And also the, the problem was um, there was there was a fire that happened um I forgot if it was the seventies, but a lot of the Atlantic jazz masters were destroyed. Um, unfortunately. Yeah. A lot of the, the Coltrane stuff was thankfully saved. And, and we ended up putting out that heavyweight box set with, with a bunch of like alternates and, and, and excellent stuff from his years of on Atlantic. But a lot of things are probably gone from the, like the early to mid sixties jazz that was recorded for Atlantic. Um, and that really was, you know, for me personally, it was like, you know, a big part of, uh, you know, of the, you know, the collectability, I think out of all our labels, like they had the best stuff, like they had, you know, cause they had right. Coltrane and Ornette Coleman and Mingus and stuff like that. So. In fact, we just did a story. Um, well, first of all, I want to say it's amazing that the, these warehouses weren't fireproofed or. Um... Yeah. I, and I don't know if those tapes were kept in North Hollywood. It, it's very possible that those Atlanta tapes were, you know, in someone's office somewhere. I don't know the, the complete story on that. Like maybe in New York or something like maybe. that. Maybe, yeah, yep, yep. Chicago, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, we just ran a story too, uh, right next to yours actually, uh, Zev Feldman, who yeah. uh, put together Thelonious Monk yep. uh, stuff for uh, Sam Records. Yep. So it is interesting, the stuff that is out there. <laughs> that you know it is like indiana jones it is you never it know is. how you what you're gonna find you don't and 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 for us um for runout groove it's really important that we we continue to sprinkle in those projects um with what i would call the, the the more compelling ones um because like yeah part of what we do is find you know records that have been out of print for a long time you know mm. like our third one was the secret machines record they were on reprise uh, in the early 2000s, and they had this great record 
called uh, Now Here is Nowhere that had been out of print and it was very expensive on the secondary market. And we decided to reissue that one. And there was nothing different about it other than our packaging was higher end than what was originally issued. And it was never issued in the United States. Um, and, and we want to do those type of things. And they're great. Um, but, but the really the, the, the main focus of what we do is to, to kind of expand like, you know, great albums and also like dig up unreleased stuff like this Marshall piece. And then we did that live uh, morphine concert that was uh, unreleased. Those to me are, are really like the, the fun projects I get to work on, you know. Well, I'm yeah. holding something right here, Echo and the Bunnymen. I, I've yep. talked to you about this before. It's all live now. Yeah. And uh, I, I love it. And uh, it's the packaging, too. You're right, is something that is important to collectors. Yep. Um, it is a tangible product. They like holding it. They like looking at it. They you know, like uh, gatefolds. I know that sounds geeky and corny, but it's, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's I mean, very true. Yeah, and to that effect, I decided that like the, all of our records were going to be done with what's called a, a tip-on sleeve, which mm. you can see by looking at that, it, it means that the, there's a front slick that's like wrapped over a back. So it's actually yes. two pieces. Yeah, and it, it needs to be done by hand. And back in the 50s and 60s, I feel like almost all records were released um, with a tip-on and now there's very few places that do the tip-on and we use Stoughton that's out in LA and Stoughton printing and, and they do a wonderful job I mean just absolutely beautiful and and they're very hard stock heavy um, beautiful jackets and, and we're trying to use that um, for all of our records to kind of keep a consistency uh, that um, in in the design aspect of our albums are, is very important to us. So I have a, a few different designers that I use that, to circulate uh, projects between, and they're all, they all do a wonderful job of like really coming up with like original concepts, which they did for this Echo and the Bunnymen. All that material was available. That live material was available um, on a CD box set that was out of print. It just hadn't been released uh, on vinyl. Um, and I had my designer come up with that new um, packaging, and and the photos used on that have never been used before uh, on, Ec on any Echo and the Bunnyman piece. And Echo and the Bunnyman were involved, and in, in, uh, I was working with Will Sargent, and so they they got to approve all those photos, and they were very happy with the results. That's very cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, their fans have to be happy. I'm on the so. uh, Runout Groove RunoutGrooveVinyl.com, and I see three three new artists to vote on. Yep. Um, tough darts who I've never heard of. Um, of course, Delaney and Bonnie. Yep. That's a, that's a good one. A motel shot and band of Susans. Yep. That's, uh, the Delaney and Bonnie is a very good one. So that one might, yeah. might actually win. Yeah. Uh, I never they, heard of tough darts. Tough darts. Are... Yeah. They were, you know, they were very short lived. They put out a, a, they put on a punk record on sire. Um, ah. In the late 70s, when obviously like Sire had their finger on the pulse of that whole CBGB scene. Um, and uh, the record's great, but they just, you know, it was one of those things where they kind of came and went. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we like to kind of focus our energy on those like potentially overlooked bands, which yes. I feel like the Tough Darts is one of those where maybe people that are, are really into the Ramones or the Talking Heads, or any of those bands for the CBGB scene, if they checked out the Tough Darts, they would probably really dig it. It's just they're not very well known, and they only had one record. Um, we like to do when, 
when you come across some of these obscure bands, it's got to be hard to you call up the musicians who probably been um, haven't been playing for a while, right, or performing. Yeah, I mean, so so basically, you know, um, it's tricky. Um, we don't we don't we don't work with every artist that we right. that where albums are put up for voting, right? So so really, to to work with an artist, you know, our the title needs to be pretty heavily like involved or changed meaning yes. you know either the material was unreleased uh the packaging is considerably different or the mm. or the record was expanded the artwork was changed right it was radically changed um if it's just a standard reissue uh contractually we don't need to 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 uh recontact the artists um in a lot of cases too it, it's pretty obvious that most of our titles that win are ones that have like much more going on with them you know uh in mm-hmm. in so Typically, we don't take three very like involved projects and right. pit them against each other. You know, <laughs> I think Red, I'm I'm uh, thinking Delaney and Bonnie will win, uh, even though even though I'm more interested in hearing the tough darts. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I'm going to vote on the tough darts. But uh, Delaney and Bonnie will probably win. Yeah, the, um, yeah. The Delaney and Bonnie is a cool project because. Um, you know, that record hasn't been reissued since it came out in 71. So it's not like you can't find it out. You can find used copies here and there, but it's not mm-hmm. one of those things where it's easily found. Um, and then the second LP is is a whole disc of, of acoustic outtakes uh, that we found in the vault that they did um, during those sessions. Um, they were done in, um, I believe, Bruce Botnick's living room and he engineered Motel Shot. Yes. I think to to kind of give that like kumbaya like, you know, around the campfire feel because the whole point of that record was trying to record while you're on tour, right? Like in motel rooms. And this second disc was them kind of jamming on acoustic guitars, um, you know, hanging out and in, uh, in in what would have been a, a motel room. So well, then um, then they were dropped by Electra, right? Yep. Yes. Because yep. uh, um, they called up and complained. Yeah. They were pretty harsh. <laughs> yes. I remember we did a story on the album. Um, so there was a split um, um, uh, with the record company and, and the artist right there. So yeah. that which is a shame because the record supposed to be really good. Um, I haven't heard it, but uh, it's supposed to be very good. Yeah, it's great stuff. And then our version would have... Um... You know, if it if it gets finally voted up to you know to our next feature, our record would use the there was an alternate French cover that was only released in France, which Ooh. it shows that matchbook of matches. Yes, yes, that, I remember that. Yeah, that that would we would use that because that's not obviously never been available in the U.S. as kind of like a different spin on the, on the packaging. So. Yeah, because I think the U.S. one is the. Um, it just looks like a hotel, door. Hotel yeah, door, right? Yes, yeah, so I was gonna say. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, do you also get involved with Record Store Day at all, or you know, yeah, we're we're, we're looking to do that. Um, actually, we've been talking about you know having Run Out Groove um, mm. pick some some uh, Record Store Day things um, mm. where fans could vote on it, but it wouldn't be available for sale on our website at all. It would just be fans can vote, record stores can vote, and then that title would would end up in the stores for record store day. We, we were thinking of potentially doing some like seven inch singles, you know, maybe like tracks that are unreleased, uh, create like new 45s uh, that have never existed before. Um, 
And there's one other project, I can't speak about it right now because it's just in like early phases, but a potential uh, double LP um, of an artist that we're already looking to um, put a project out on. So yeah, we, we would like to get involved with Record Store Day. I think the Record Store Day idea would be great. Yeah, yeah to, I mean, uh... you just got a built-in audience, you know, um, mm -hmm. and uh, where people are, you know, going to the stores on that one day and you're, then the stores are even getting, you know, people that don't regularly walk into record stores so yeah. um it's just a great marketing day you know to feature stuff that may get overlooked because it doesn't get uh, marketed in the bins at the stores throughout it the is you know i think some old timers don't get record store day but are missing the point it's about uh it really is i mean yeah sure some of the records are expensive but it really yeah. is about uh embracing the the idea of an indie record store completely celebrating yeah absolutely yeah so i hope you guys do get involved with that and um i thank you for the time yeah thank um, you because i i really dig uh run out groove and the whole idea behind it uh runoutgroovevinyl.com and i want to thank you matt uh thank you for talking me. more and hope to have you uh, as a guest on on the pad podcast again would love it thank you so much for the time okay Okay, thank you, Matthew Block of Runout Groove. Again, go to runoutgroovevinyl.com. Uh, a very cool label, very interactive with fans of vinyl records. I think you'll be very pleased. Okay, before we go on to Peter Hook, I just want to um, give some shout-outs, some editor recommendations. Um for a few new releases that I really enjoyed and think you should pick up. Um, Eagle Rock just put out an excellent Stones live CD. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, the Rolling Stones. It's actually the soundtrack of the film of the same name. And uh, it, it was shot over four nights in Texas uh, during Exile Main Street tour in 72 and uh, I got to say, it's one of the best, uh, I like get your ya yais out, but uh, this is um, uh, one of the best Stones live performances. You know, everything from, uh, you know, the the first track, Brown Sugar, uh, Bitch, Gimme Shelter, <laughs> Dead Flowers, Happy. Um, you know, it's, it's quite, it's quite a, um, it's got, 16 tracks and ends with street fighting man and uh i enjoyed every one of them i'm a little biased because i'm a rolling stone fan um you know i listen to all their live stuff through the through the all their different eras um uh, even up till now and uh you know i love the ole 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 uh movie even but i gotta say this is when they were in their prime and mick taylor is sounds great uh, on guitar, uh, as well as Keith, it's worth picking up. Uh, again, it's uh, it's just out on CD on Eagle Rock, and it will not disappoint. Anyway, uh, another one that I liked, and this one goes back to 1987. It's Suzanne Vega's Solitude Standing Album. And, you know, Tom's Diner. Um, it's put out by Culture Factory. It's a limited edition. It's um, I, I love these CDs that they put out that are vinyl replicas. And this is a collector's edition limited to 3,000 copies. 
and um, you know it's high definition it's been remastered um, you know I, I love the, it's got all the original album and cover art it's got the original inner paper sleeve um, and the thing I you know I love the album by itself um, I know it's not for everyone because it's kind of mellow but it uh, I was I was disappointed in one thing that there weren't extras on it but uh, I know Culture Factory wanted to keep it as is but that one is worth as a vinyl replica in your collection uh they probably still have it but uh you should check it out before it's gone is there are only three thousand copies now you know we're waiting for um we're on the line waiting on the line for peter hook um we've been on hold of his hotel service line uh we're going to talk to peter as i said about the release this year of his his band the light um, in celebration of Joy Division and New Order albums, they released uh, four albums and uh, their performances of albums in their entirety of, I'll go down the list, Joy Division's The Closer Live and Tour 2011 of The Light, uh, New Order's Power, Corruption and Lies, the Tour 2013 of The Light, uh, Joy Division's Unknown Pleasure, the tour 2012 and new orders first album movement tour uh 2013 um live in dublin uh peter also published two books in the last few years uh one is called substance inside new order the other is called unknown pleasures inside joy division very good you should check them out go to amazon.com see if they're available they should be and The Light will be performing Substance on tour uh, until spring of next year. And that's when they hit the States for that tour. Um, and that I'm looking forward to. That ought to be a good one. And uh, I'm sure maybe it will come out as a release from Peter Hook and The Light. Anyway, uh, we're connected to Peter Hook's hotel room. Here we are. Hello. Hello, Peter. Hello. How are you? Not bad. This is this is Pat from Goldmine Magazine. Um, hey, mate. Are you alright? Yeah. Sorry about that. I was stuck in uh, Hotel Cosmopolitan Purgatory. Oh, they, good. <laughs> yeah. Sounds good. <laughs> they they their lines were busy. Um, oh. Have you now? I noticed this release on vinyl for Record Store Day. Have you done a record store day um, release before? Mm. Yeah, we've done two actually. We've done yeah. a ceremony that we redid, and we also did Ideal for Living. Were, were they both uh, 45s or? Uh, no, you did no the cere- 12 inches. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. the, the, audio, the audio quality on these are they're excellent, man. Were you taping. Knowing you'd put something out in the future on disc? No, I, I have to admit that this whole collection is down to Steve Beatty at Plastic Head, who came to see his play. Uh, he was trying to get Joy Division to sign to him for merchandise. And he stumbled across an old LP we did, which was live in Melbourne, which was our seventh ever concert as the light and we put it out for flood relief in australia mm. you know we gave the kid the album 
um, and he stumbled across that and said, this isn't, you know, generally available. Why have you never done uh, a live record? And to be honest with you, <laughs> playing live and fighting the huge legal battle I've got on with the others, uh, I didn't really have time to contemplate um, doing something like this. So literally it became his baby. We have got a lot of tapes. Uh, our keyboard player, Andy Poole, uh, recorded nearly every gig that we did. Um, some of them he recorded on the desk, mm. some of them recorded on microphone, um, and th there was a few that we'd done which were 24-track. So really it was just a, a matter of going through them with Steve's help at Plastic Head, uh, picking out the best ones, and he thought it was a good idea to celebrate, shall we say, as we're doing, mm. the um, eight LPs that that we'd done so it was as simple as that it was quite organic um the way it came about uh, i must admit I'm, I'm very very happy with the um reception <laughs> yeah i didn't think it'd be as um uh, as welcoming shall we say as it has been which has been great i mean i do know the light are a fantastic group and we we do what we do very passionately uh, and very enthusiastically and it is our idea to celebrate the music the best you know the best of our ability so i've been very happy with the way that we've performed over these five and a half years uh, to say the least so yeah you know it's it's uh, it's a it's like the crowning glory to have them you know done at such a high level with Steve on CD and download and vinyl, you know, and I mean, yeah. I must admit, when he gave me the vinyls last week, yeah. it was a fantastic moment, you know, it was really, really, they're really well done. Yeah. Um, he, he's, he's done most of the preparation and overseen um, our artwork ideas. We were very careful, we're not allowed to use the proper artwork. Yeah. because Bernard and Stephen wouldn't agree to it. Yeah. So the thing is, is that we had to use something that was derivative, um, but so keeping an original flavour, but sort of using um, it to show that we are different, if you like. Yeah. Well, one thing that you do capture is, uh, you know, both bands, Joy Division and New Order, played the music louder and more aggressive live, um, is in my opinion, and you carry on that sort of tradition. Do you agree? Yeah, I mean, the, that's easy. Yeah. <laughs> to do, because um, it feels fantastic. Yeah. You know, the thing that used to piss me off about New Order before we split up was that it, everything seemed so... You know, it, it was like it was all done on sufferance, and it was it was debilitatingly frustrating, you know, to see Bernard's attitude... Although he seems to have been kidnapped by aliens and uh, they've sent the wrong one back. Because, you know, since they, they reformed New Order, he seems to love gigging now. So I take it I must have been a right bastard to work with. Um, so he's going you know, for him to get his joy de vivre back. But the thing was, is that at that time, it was like fucking pulling teeth. And everything yeah. was played, I felt, quite lacklustre. So it was wonderful, if you like, to find people, and basically this lot are Monaco, mm. that, you know, we've worked together for a long time. It was just good to get with those people, and we love it. You know, we absolutely adore 
playing it. Uh, and I think that that shows. Yeah, I think, you know, I th- I look at uh, Level Terror's Apart and Blue Monday and both, well, I just said, louder and more aggressive energy. It just, um, I you know, I like the studio versions, but, you know, you've heard them so many times. It's good to hear them live like that. It's really, it's nice. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, it's, it's I, I watch people every day doing shit jobs, you know, that they yeah. hate. Yeah. And I've got a fucking great job. Yeah. And again, when I was with them miserable bastards, I couldn't understand how they could be act the way they were with this. It's such a gift, you know, to be able to play music, to be able to tour it, and to be able to be appreciated for what you do is is really is in this day and age. It really is a gift. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I, I, I'm glad to have got it back. Yeah. You know, I... it was it was quite odd, really. You know, the in the years in between Joy New Order splitting up Friday and Slip there, um and I DJ'd, you know, and playing somebody else's music and getting paid is pretty good. Yeah. It's a pretty good job. But then to get back to playing Joy Division in two thousand and ten and the reason was simple. You know, I, once you were outside the protective cocoon of New Order it made me think, why have we never celebrated anything to do with Joy Division? Never. Yeah, yeah. One, five, ten, fifteen, twenty, twenty-five, thirty. This is fucking ridiculous. You know what I mean? And it was about celebrating Ian's life, his legacy, and the his fans. Heritage. The fans wanted it. Well, I, I mean, I didn't know whether the fans wanted it or not. I have to say, yeah. At that point, I wanted it. Yeah, yeah. You know, and we did those first gigs to two hundred people. Yeah, and then to end up a few years later playing to five thousand, be it in Mexico or Brazil, yeah. and a lot of these kids are very young. I think is a great compliment to all the musicians of Joy Division. Well, the not f- just me. Well, the first gig uh, where you performed "Unknown Pleasures" in its entirety, that was uh, thirty years after Ian's death. Correct? It was uh, on the day. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was, was a charity gig. Yeah. Right. And then it went so well. That was the 200 people, right, you were talking about? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that went so well that you decided from there to do other albums, correct? Well, to be, to be honest with you, we, we started getting offers to do it in other places. Yeah. Which was the inducement. Um, it seemed logical to me to do all the albums of Joy Division because we, on 31 years, we did Closer. mm and then on 32 years, we did Still. You know, I'm, I'm quite happy to say, actually, that the only place we played um, Manchester was when we played Still in its entirety. So that's a hell of an achievement. It then made me think, well, why stop there? You mm. know, most of New Order's early material had not been played for donkey years <laughs> because Bernard seemed to be allergic um, to it, you know, right. and I must admit, one of the great things about watching them pretend to be New Order now is is that they're still playing the same old set over and over again, yeah. with a few songs from Music Complete in, yeah. you know. So I'm like, well, as, and as my wife said to me, if you were there, you would be boiling with frustration, yeah, uh, you know. And it's absolutely true. You taste 
and people change and Bernard and I had reached a crossroads. His idea for the group was completely different to mine. His idea for the materials were completely different from, to mine. His attitude to touring has always been atrocious. He's always hated it. Mm. And he's always done it as little as possible, which again was completely different to my attitude. His attitude was that the song written in the studio was the best version. And my attitude was was that the song played live was the best version. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you, you, the writing was on the wall, more or less, uh, as soon as Ian died. It was amazing that we stayed together, shall we say, as, as, as long as we, we did, you know. Well, I think the irony to all this is that uh, New Order was quite a good live band. I didn't get to see Joy Division, but I saw New Order about, maybe about 10 years ago in New York City and um, everyone thought okay this might be the last time we see the band a, a guy next to me kept yelling out we're watching history this is the last time we might ever see New Order play <laughs> well he wasn't far wrong was he <laughs> he's certainly not fucking New Order now but it was it was damn good uh, then I haven't seen them since um, but uh, I mean, it, it, you see it was interesting really because yeah, the, I enjoyed the, it uh, that's all the I... fragility yeah. when Gillian left sort of left with us and Phil was a much more physical shall we say player um, and he was a much better guitarist than Gillian ever was so really your fragility sort of disappeared mm. so when you saw us mm. it was without Gillian yep. with Phil and we were a different band. We 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 were a different band. Um, you know, it's it, but it's interesting. You know, the thing is, is that doing the New Order book showed me that really because of the legal action that's ongoing at the moment, which is horrendous. It's yeah. absolutely the worst thing that I've ever been through in my life. Yeah. The thing is, is that you think everything's shit. Yeah. And when I went back and did the New Order book, and I realised what New Order achieved. In the 80s, because, I mean, we started on May the something. Well, yeah, we started the day after his um, his uh, inquest. Mm -hmm. And we finished in 1990 with the England World Cup song. Mm -hmm. And that 10 years, we literally conquered the world. Mm -hmm. We really did achieve something. So it actually gave me a lot of heart uh, and a lot of satisfaction from doing the book. Because when I look at the position that we're we're in together now, it's mm. absolutely heartbreaking. Yeah, it really is. But no, I mean we did, and it was interesting because you know the whole point about punk, to me, was it was about being awkward. It was about not doing what everybody else did. It was about doing things differently. It was about finding your own way in the world. It was about anarchy, chaos. Uh, we were very lucky that we had a, a unique talent behind that ability to cause anarchy and do chaos. Tony Wilson at Factory Records was a complete maverick. Rob Gretton, our manager, compared to most rock managers, was like another maverick. You know, so you had a heady combination of people backed by this wonderful material. You know, right. you couldn't go wrong with that material. I defy any manager, any record company to fuck up. But unlike... Or New Order. Mm. Well, unlike yeah, other, I mean, bands. they tried. 
<laughs> and almost succeeded. But the thing is, is that your attitude, like not putting the records on the singles, the singles on the record, and, you know, being awkward, playing live, the way we were, we were very unrehearsed, very immediate, you know, we didn't give a shit, that re attitude really suited you, you were young. I liked you know, that, I, it, I liked it. Yeah, I loved it. <laughs> It was absolutely fantastic. And I must admit that it only changed when we moved to um, London Records. Because mm. you got swallowed up then. I mean, when I was doing the book, uh, going all the way through the factory releases, it, it was quite noble what you did with the records. Mm. You know, even Substance as a greatest hit, so those singles had never been put together. They weren't on the LPs. It was actually a very valid record to do Substance, both New Order and Joy Division. Mm. But then when you get to how London acted as a normal record company, there was hundreds of remixes and repackaging, you yes. know, over and over again. You really, really did become a commodity. Now, the yeah. thing is, is that we actually became a commodity after we'd been going for 15 years, you know, most bands are a commodity the moment they sign. So we, we had a pretty good run at being awkward, anarchistic, well, very self-indulgent, you know, and it inspires a lot of people. That attitude inspires people. Well, I remember I bought that, uh, it was a box set with a eagle with a disco ball, New yeah, Order yeah. remixes. I, I didn't, I, I didn't really like the remixes. The I'd rather stick with the real stuff or hear it live. Well, um, see, the remixes were done by London and Warner Brothers, weren't they, you see? Yeah. So it becomes a great commodity. It's like, it's, it's that old adage, isn't it, if you throw enough shit, yeah. some of it will stick. I noticed that my son was showing me, I hate to go on about this, music complete again. You know, they've done music complete, they've done yeah. complete music, and now they've done another EP of remixes. And really, you're just thinking, oh, fucking God, pack it in. You know <laughs> what I mean? It, it really shameless repackaging. And, and I, I have this argument with Warner Brothers all the time. You know, I mean, the thing that people like, and I'm, I'm a fan, don't forget, and I'm a consumer, yeah. and the thing that I like is when people make an effort with the record. Yes. Like I thought the Led Zeppelin box sets. Yes. Where you got the vinyl of the record it was wonderful. And it, yes. And yes. yeah, I said to Warner Brothers, when they, and thank God they've actually taken it on board. This is how you should do ours. Yeah. You know, I agree. Flyers, posters, all the contractual stuff. People love it. To they see do. How it happened, you know? Well, and I said, make sure you put in input from the band now. Yeah. And that's always the thing that people don't do. They don't put input from the band now. And because we're at each other's throats, it's very difficult to to put that input in. So I, I do hope they take heed of that. But they are doing the box sets in You're, the way that the Led Zeppelin ones were done. Good. Because you can make a box set as wonderful as you like, design-wise, but it's got to have the substance, as you say. Yeah, exactly. No <laughs> no pun intended again there. You yeah. see. But, yeah. I mean, it is weird. It's weird to, you know, when, when I did the New Order book and you saw all this stuff written down yeah. in one place, you can document the rise and fall, shall we say, on the timelines of... And, you know, when the timeline gets to London Records, it's unbelievable uh, the change in the group well it's 
it's quite frightening. But I mean, we, we had our moment, yeah. and we changed the world. Now it's time for somebody else to do it, you know what I mean? It's 60. Well, you know, fans still fans still think that you and Sumner and the rest of the guys will play Kumbaya and, and do a reunion still. They still have well, hope. They hey, still listen, have hope. Uh, sadly, the lawyers have managed to keep it at boiling point, shall yes. we say, for six years. So it's like the worst fucking divorce you've ever had. Yes. Uh, you know, ever. This has lasted six years and it's still boiling. So, yeah. I mean, there's no chance... Because of the insults that are hurled, yeah, vitriol that's spewed back by these fucking lawyers who are just like guns for hire. You know, I mean, the thing is, is that it ain't going to happen. And there's not even been a cooling off period yet. And me and Bernard agreed to split yeah. 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah. And it's never cooled off. So from 10 years, when we agreed to split at a meeting in Manchester in 2007... We've been at each other's throats for ten fucking years. You don't even do that with your ex-missuses, do you? No. People tend to move on after a couple, two or three years. But bloody hell, we're still at it at ten. I take it as a compliment. <laughs> the longevity? I really do. <laughs> the longevity of it? Yeah, um, yeah, the fact that he's so fucking annoyed with me for uh, splitting the band up. Well, it seemed back at the time that he wasn't even sure he was going to carry on. Uh, no, no, I mean, I'm, I, I do. And this is me. Call me an old cynic, right? But if the 2008 financial crash and yep. killed all our pensions, yep. I don't think you'd have seen the new New Order. Good point. And you can quote me on that one. That's a that's a valid point. A big financial influence with that crash. And, and hey, if you look in historically, it affected a lot of groups, didn't it? it? A lot of groups have to do it because they know not nothing else, right? I mean, they yeah. Eagles in being one. What 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 was their tour called? Oh God, the hell freezes over tour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they're going to be playing again, even though one of their you know, critical members died. I mean, it's, you know, it's crazy. But, you well, know... You know it, it, it's weird, isn't it? You know, I mean, the thing is, is that it's... It, 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 it's a very strange position to be in, because I saw it with the Stone Roses. Yeah. You know, very close friends of mine. They, they And if anybody deserved it, it was the Stone Roses. Yeah. They had such an awful ride yeah. when they were the Stone Roses. It was criminal the way that they were you know, treated, and they had such bad luck. It was awful. I was delighted when they got back together again. Yeah. And, of course, have been huge in England. Um, not so huge in Europe and America, I don't think, but they've been huge in England. Um, and to see them finally get their payday yeah. 30 years later. But some bands are still absolutely weird. adding on to the payday, you know. I mean, I have friends who are big Who fans, and they call them the two. Because they... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know, but you know, I mean, it's weird with the Who in it. They're one of my favorite. Groups. Oh, they're, they'll always be one of my favorites. But you know what they're saying, right? They're saying, you know, this is this is like a Vegas act. It's not the real. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, it's I mean, a shame. My God, you know, it's one one of my biggest regrets in life is that you never witnessed that I never witnessed a group like the Who with no, Keith Moon. I don't think you ever or will. Or Velvet Underground when they were together. Or the doors, you know, on my three top ten bands I would have loved to have seen in their heyday. Yeah. They are one, two, and three, not particularly in any order. 
you know, it would have been absolutely wonderful. I was gutted, actually, because Quadrophenia is my favourite LP. Yeah. Nearly of all time. And um, when they got back together and did Quadrophenia... Yeah. You know, but it can backfire on you this, you know. You know when the bass player of Nirvana got did their LP? Yeah. There was a review that I saw, and the first line on it was, I blame Peter Hook for this. Yeah, I was just going to say that... <laughs> This this uh, playing and performing album in their its entirety has become a fad. It's, yes, <laughs> and to to be given that strap line was one of my greatest moments. One of the nicest things I've ever seen in a review about me. <laughs> I blame Peter Hook for this for the bass player of Nirvana playing. Never mind. Oh, I was fucking delighted. But you know, I mean, the thing is, is that I was saying to some guy yesterday. You know, we we are trading on nostalgia. Yeah. Right? But we're in good company. Yeah, you are. Because I'm not alone. No, no. You know, we played a gig in Bergamo last night, and we had a 1,000 people there doing the two substances. Night before in Rome, we had 1,200. Tonight, I'm hoping it'll be the same. Do you know what I mean? So I am in very good company, no, because you, these people are like me. You hit on something. So I'm delighted. Because, listen, you know, they go to see a show, and most of the time the set list is, you know, it's it's like a mixtape, right? But here you are playing the songs like they were used to hearing on the album. You know, you're used to hearing one song lead into another. And so it's so familiar to them. It it, it just seems right that it would work in a nostalgic way. And You know, but the, the, the interesting thing is, you know, it's very, very difficult. And it was Martin Hannett that taught us how to put an album together. Mm. How to make sure that the, the, key, the keys were sympathetic which at 20 years old we thought he was just talking out of his arse. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then, of course, later you realise, oh, my God, you know, this is how you make a classic yeah. album. And he, he did such a great job. So the artistry in putting an album together, it was really, really hard work. Yeah, Every know, one of our albums has been really hard work to put together. It's kind of like what... The... We got to the last one, actually, waiting for the siren's call, because Barney decided in his infinite wisdom that he'd do it all himself. Well, it's kind of like well, what that... One of them... Like that fan was what? shouting at the concert, right? We're, we're witnessing history. Uh, you know, when you lay down an album, that's history. I mean, you... It is, yeah. It's marked, right? I mean, I, I, I still love them. If, if I go on Spotify... Yeah. I won't play the continuous thing I always play the album yeah yeah and if I've not got the album to play I get really pissed off and well, you know what the dreaded words that I hate to see on Spotify fucking 2015 remaster like, <laughs> oh, fuck some twats ruined it <laughs> it's like that isn't it? you know it's amazing the things you get stuck with isn't it? you're like that shit why did you just leave it as it was every time ours are remastered you know, I always, uh, I'm always like, oh. It's fuck. it's consumerism, you know. They're, they're... Surely the next thing in Spotify has to be original master, <laughs> unremastered, <laughs> <laughs> and then London fucking records will sell it you again. <laughs> yeah, don't give them any ideas. No, I've got to go, mate. All my okay. phone's going. Okay. Well, thank you for you taking okay? the time. Yeah, thank you You're for welcome, taking the mate. time. And I hope listen. I enjoyed it. Actually, it was a laugh. I hope you play uh, New York. Okay. Take care. No, I will. I'll, I'll be there soon. All right. Bye now. <laughs> bye bye. Thank you, Peter Hook. It was a pleasure. And uh, 
Goldmine listeners, this is Pat Prince, editor of Goldmine. Please go to goldminemag.com for exclusive stories and also pick up the issue and select record stores and select Barnes and Nobles and Books a Million on the newsstand. Uh, next podcast will be in, the, in September. Um, we have two a month at the beginning and end of each month. And the next podcast, we'll be talking to Gerald Scarf. You all know him as the artist for Pink Floyd, especially The Wall. And we'll have other surprises as well. Thank you for listening, and see you next time. Bye now.